Griffin on Wednesday, Clayton Kershaw exited a baseball game. And normally that's just a normal thing that pitchers do on a daily basis. But this one was particularly notable. He had pitched seven perfect innings. He had thrown 80 pitches. He had 13 strikeouts. And he, you know, all the circumstances seemed right for him to try for the perfect game. But he was pulled, did not pitch the 8 or ninth inning. And everyone freaked out about it. Uh, There was speculation about whether Kershaw himself had asked to come out of the game or whether Dave Roberts had called for it. Uh, I believe Kershaw said uh, something to the effect that he was the one who asked out of the game, that he was fine with it at the bare minimum. Now, granted, a perfect game is different than a no-header, which Jeff Passan pointed out on Twitter. And he said the circumstances seemed right for Kershaw to go for the perfect game, which is totally fair. You know, Sean Mayanea pitched seven no-hit innings with one walk, and I didn't hear a word about it. This was, you know, within the last week, we're a bit of a week into the season, and this is already not, you know, again, a perfect game, not the same as no-hitter, but this has already kind of happened. Pitching seven perfect innings is terrific, but it's not really that close to a perfect game, I don't think. Pitching a perfect eighth and ninth when uh, you already have a perfect game going is not the same as even as pitching a perfect first and second, which is hard to do. Players had to deal with a shortened training camp. Kershaw is 34 years old. He's not that far removed from a season where he was really banged up in 2020. Uh, And the Dodgers are World Series favorites, and they shouldn't be doing anything to jeopardize that. So you can say it's a shame to miss out on history, and it absolutely is, but it's not the travesty that people were making it out to be. And speaking of something that is the travesty people were making it out to be, it's time for another episode of High Floor, Low Ceiling. And welcome to High Floor, Low Ceiling, the sports podcast that you are listening to. Griffin, how are you today? You're wearing a Duke jersey. I am. It's an R.J. Barrett uh, Duke jersey, the only Duke jersey I owned. Uh, the only college sports jersey I own, actually. It's just, it's a, it's from China. It's a cool knockoff. The the Chinese jerseys, they only cost like $25, so you can make the more trendy purchases. They're not a long-term investment, mm. like a real jersey. Right. Is that why you have like five members of the Ball family jersey? Do you have a, do you have a Leangelo Ball Detroit Pistons jersey? I do not. I'm missing a <laughs> Leangelo Detroit, and I still haven't gotten Alonzo Bulls yet. That one's missing, but mm. I do... Have a Lamelo Hornets, Alonzo Lakers, and Alonzo Pelicans. Wow. Well, congrats to you, I suppose. Thank you. Yeah, That's I put a lot of work in. It's certainly dedication to something. Uh, Griffin, <laughs> a lot going on in the sports world. Obviously, you know, baseball is in full swing now, uh, so to speak. It's a little pun that I came up with. Oh, nicely done. Uh, and both basketball and hockey headed towards the playoffs. The play-ins at the time of that we are recording this, are going to be wrapping up tonight. Uh, do you want to throw out some quick predictions for who you got? So Atlanta and Cleveland and the Pelicans and the Clippers will be facing off. I think, you know, Jarrett Allen is expected to play in that game. Do you still take the Hawks here? No, I'm going to take the Cavs there. I like the Cavs. Wow. Uh, Jared Allen, I think, is a great, great player. So I'm taking them, and uh, we also found out that Paul George will miss the game tonight with COVID protocols, which is a shame for the Clippers, obviously. But even when he was in, I was still picking the Pelicans. Like, I watched the end of that Clippers-T-Wolves game. The Clippers' offensive execution down the stretch in the half court was, like, some of the worst basketball I had ever seen. Just nothing but contested threes on the move with, like, 10 seconds to go in the shot clock. It was bad. The Clippers looked bad. And with Carl Anthony Towns out and them still not able to win that game, I think they were demoralized, and I would have picked the Pelicans even if Paul George was playing. And now Paul George isn't playing, so I mean, come on. See, I that's interesting because I almost feel the opposite, where even if Paul George isn't playing, I still think the Clippers have a good shot here. Like, you know, they didn't have Paul George most of the season. There's no question they're a bad offensive team. I'm fully am with you on that one. They looked bad in that game. But they seem to be a team that grinds out wins and they've done this for a few years now without their stars where like they're they have a lot of solid role players they feel like they can just beat anyone on any given night kind of like not in a way that they're dominant but just that they can stay in it with anyone 
And New Orleans is a team that it's hard to have much faith in. Like, I don't have faith in C.J. McCollum to put up, like, 30 points against this Clippers defense. Blasphemy. It'll be an interesting matchup for sure. Um, And then Atlanta-Cleveland, you know, I think that'll be... I think it's certainly a much closer matchup now that the uh, Cavs have Jarrett Allen back. You know, if he can replicate some level of his production from the regular season. But I think I'm still leaning towards the Hawks here. The Cavs don't have a ton in the way of perimeter defense. It'll be really interesting to see what kind of looks they throw at Trey Young, how they try and slow him down. But that'll be an interesting game for sure. Um, Griffin, you have here just T-Wolves in our document. <laughs> I assume you would like to talk about the the whole rigmarole on social media about the, the Wolves celebrating their play-in win over the Clippers. Well, first, Chris, I would like to say you and I pressed record on this podcast today, so launch the confetti cannons, throw off the fireworks. I might take this R.J. Barrett jersey off and chuck it into our studio audience here uh, because we accomplished a very mediocre accomplishment, and as such, we're going to party like it's 1999 if we follow the Minnesota T-Wolves example. That was crazy. I'm all for fun. In sports, I see it both ways. I know we don't hedge on high floor, low ceiling, but mm-hmm. yeah, have fun, party. But you have to know, and I'm not going to say like act like you've been there before because I think that's dumb, and also they haven't been there before. But you just have to be willing to open yourself up to people making fun of you because that's fun too. Like I'm not sure if you saw the inside the NBA crew mm-hmm. after that, Chris, but I was cracking up at Chuck saying that they get to go home because the season was over because the T-Wolves won the championship, apparently. Right. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, just uh, T-Wolves. You're, you're <laughs> opening yourself up to people making fun of you, and when you lose in five to the Grizzlies... Uh, they'll, they'll have to take their lumps. Yeah, uh, oh, there yeah, will I mean, be lumps a-coming. <laughs> I, was, I was talking with a friend. We were sort of jokingly talking about, like, playoffs bingo and all the things that could happen so like jimmy butler has a 40 point game in a losing effort mm. <laughs> and things like that and one of them that i said i i can't remember i i think i might be just giving myself credit because it felt <laughs> it feels close but i'm pretty sure i said patrick beverly jumps on the scorers table <laughs> which and then he did that that's yeah. really crazy. Like, is, during the play, I only had to wait like, one game. Were you thinking when you came up with that, like, going for a loose ball? Or were you thinking, like, celebratory? No, like, like they win a game and he jumps on the scorer's table. I, I, it might have just been anyone jumps on the scorer's table, but I'm pretty sure I specifically said Patrick Beverly because he was going off in that game. Yeah, and I he don't played mean, great. Credit to him. He played great. He played okay. He, Down you the know, stretch. He was doing... He was doing Patrick stretch. Beverly things. He was clutched down the stretch, sure. But, you know, like, ultimately, you had more shots than points and were a negative <laughs> plus minus in a play-in game. I don't, like... If it was he like, went with the Kobe's final, celeb- final celebration. <laughs> yeah. If it was, like, Anthony Edwards and he had, like, dropped 50, then, sure, you can jump on the scores table and, like, that's totally valid. Like, I think that that's fair. But Patrick Beverly, I mean, maybe it's just... Beverly bias because he's a real love him or hate him guy. Yeah, and I do not like Patrick. Beverly Did you see that he was yelling like "This is my house" and stuff? He's been there for <laughs> one season. He's there, maybe like sixth best player, and he's yelling "This is my house." Carl yeah, Anthony Towns it... just sitting there like I thought this was my house. What the hell? But the sad <laughs> thing is that it might be his house because <laughs> you know the Timberwolves did not have much in the way of like toughness or clutchness like. No. Towns, Russell, Edwards, not really guys you think of as like grinded out guys in a close game. So maybe he does deserve some credit, but he he infuriates me, I will say. Yeah. And I'm you know, with that's you what there. he wants to do. Do you think um, the T Wolves were like we want like the Jimmy Butler atmosphere back when everyone like lived in fear of this intense weirdo in our locker room? Let's try and get I guess the so. only other one in the NBA who's like that annoying in here. See, the Jimmy thing, the reason that... I also really dislike Jimmy Butler, I will say. I have to admit. But the reason I dislike Jimmy Butler is because he he feels like he is pretending like he's Patrick Beverly. Mm. But in reality, he's just, like, another guy. But he, like, he loves talking about, like, how he's coming into practice early and how he's locked in and how he only cares about championships and all this stuff. Whereas I feel like Patrick Beverly, like, even though he is incredibly annoying... 
I do think he believes what he's saying. That's true. Whereas Jimmy Butler, like, always just comes across as, uh, you know, in, in uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Dishonest or, you know, mm. not insincere. genuine. Insincere is exactly what I'm thinking of, Griffin. Um, and Griffin, this is really just an all-basketball show because we've got some great NBA playoffs and not playoffs stuff coming up <laughs> to give a little tease for that. But also, we had a a topic request for the yes. first time in HFLC history. Chris, you and I were having a discussion about who we think our number one fan is there. There's a lot of great candidates. Chris, not among them, famously does not listen to the podcast. I um, live it, baby, every day. <laughs> <laughs> I live that high floor, low ceiling life. But exactly. one of our favorite listeners, for sure, is Carlton Ravens football legend Phil the Thrill Aoki. And Phil wanted to wanted us to comment on a... Uh, a different Carlton Ravens legend who had some big mm-hmm. news this week. A, uh, I'll call him a friend of the show. He's a, he's a, I know him. Uh, we'll put it that way. <laughs> That's uh, enough. L- Lloyd Pandy, the uh, best player on the historic dynasty Carlton Ravens men's basketball team, has declared for the NBA draft. Uh, for those of you who might not know, our American listeners or our Canadian listeners who don't pay attention to U Sports, uh, Carlton has won three uh national championships in a row and 16 out of 18 or 18 out of 20 something like that a lot out of barely more um and (laughs) so yes a very high percentage of the last 20 national championships it's a dynasty maybe you could say unlike anything ever seen in canadian sports and lloyd is the current best player well was the current best player on the carlton ravens men's team he had been in the program for four years but had only played two of those years his first year was a red shirt year and then his third quote-unquote third year was a covid year so he's only used up two seasons of his eligibility but lloyd pandy he was just named canada's university basketball player of the year and he declared for the NBA draft. So congratulations to Lloyd, first of all. That's a, a very exciting step for him. Of course, it's tough in to come out of Canadian University and try and make the NBA draft, but I think from having watched him very closely, I've watched him play at the university level, I've watched him play at the pro level in the Canadian Elite Basketball League, Lloyd is absolutely capable of anything that this next level can throw at him. And the number one thing to... Uh, to describe Lloyd is the heart that he plays with. He will go after any loose ball. He will match up with any defender. He will take on any matchup when he's playing defense. He's phenomenally skilled with the basketball in his hands in the air. He's very balanced. He's a great finisher around the net, a great defender. Uh, I think I would be over the moon if Lloyd were to be drafted. I think the his size might be a bit of a issue he's listed as a forward but he he's only six foot four but he does play he plays like a wing like he could easily be a shooting guard sure. and be fine the uh the, the outside shot would be something that i i hope he continues to work on but he's great at getting to the rim so yeah phil uh there's our there's our little scouting report on uh the national player of the year lloyd pandy i really do think chris i've seen him play against professional mm-hmm. players in the summer this year against uh, when he was playing for the Niagara River Lions of the Canadian Elite Basketball League, and he more than held his own against grown men. He's still young, he's still growing, he's still evolving, and there's no better place to play in Canada to get you ready for the next level than Carleton. They've turned countless players into professional players in Europe, they've had some guys in the G League, um, and Lloyd is has had a great career at Carleton. Uh, we wish him all the best, and certainly can't wait to see what he does next because i know it's going to be great great things yeah it's certainly like you said griffin it's certainly a an uphill battle i think coming from the the university system um you know like we have seen canadian players coming into the league more and more like you know even the ones that aren't like the jamal murray's or the rj barrett's of the world like we saw Xavier Moon come into the league this year. We saw Lindell Wiggington. Oh, oh he, he, Z- Moon is actually American. He played in the CBL, but he's American. Well, yeah, but that's what I'm saying. Is like players who came in and you know were were in the Canadian system, so to right. speak. Right. Yes. And so you know, and so it's not. I think it is fair to say that there's not an insurmountable gap in talent. Is what I'm saying between the CEBL and the NBA, at least in terms of like guys who can 
be in the G League, who can be two-way guys, who can be like maybe deep bench guys, like that might be the the ceiling at this point, but it does feel like there is that chance for for a guy who's on that level to at least, you know, get into the system, right? Yeah, exactly. And it does feel like the logical next step for U Sports. U Sports grads, especially in the past 20 years, have really made major steps in every area of professional basketball in the world. The CBL has been great for U Sports representation and the fact that U Sports players can play those pro, that pro league in the summer and then retain their eligibility, I think is an incredible system and so smart. Players have been sent to the top, top leagues in Europe. Like you look at players like the Scrub Brothers or just uh, Kaza Kajami Keen out of, out of Carlton alone uh, have had incredible European careers. Guys who have gone on to represent Team Canada at international tournaments. There hasn't been a U-sports player drafted to the NBA since Will Njoku uh, was drafted by the Pacers out of St. Mary's University in 1994. Unfortunately, Will never played in the NBA as far as I can tell. But um, I think the time is right, and there's a lot of great players in the in U Sports right now. A lot of great men's players, but uh, Lloyd is as good a candidate as any to be the one to make that next step. Yeah, I mean, in turn, you know, obviously I'm not nearly as familiar with him as you are, but just based on sort of his level relative to what we've been seeing from from people in the in the Canadian system, whether that's Canadian players or players in the CEBL and things like that. I feel like, you know, even if he might not be a guy who has a great shot to get drafted, I think he would have a really solid shot at being someone who is one day in the NBA at the very least. Yeah, you can see it. Like, yeah, the size, I think, is something that uh, he's going to have to overcome. Mm -hmm. And it's a shame because obviously (laughs) that's out of his control. But Lloyd is also just a tremendous person. He's very fun and friendly. He's a very kind guy. I mean... Covering U Sports is fun because you're the same age as the uh, athletes that you're covering and stuff like that. But Lloyd always had time for me whenever I asked for an interview or a quote or sent him a DM. Always made sure he took the time to reply. So uh, just based on my interaction with him, he would be just an A-plus addition to any organization. Just from a locker room standpoint, he's a really phenomenal kid and someone who you can't help but root for. Yeah, and I think what certainly when you're on that maybe potentially the edge of sort of being a, a full-fledged NBA player, that those little things do add up. Speaking of the NBA, Griffin, we have to get to our main segment. Yes, please. And, you know, it, it's, it's pretty obvious. The NBA playoffs are about to start. They're starting tomorrow, in fact, right? So yes, yes, Saturday. We recorded this on Friday. They're starting on Saturday, which will probably be the day you hear this. So get excited for that. I think Griffin... You know, we'll take we'll ask some quick questions about the sort of one eight two seven matchups, but I feel like the main area we want to direct our focus is in that middle area where it seems like there might be more quote unquote upset potential. Because, you know, these teams are pretty close together. Like if you look at the Eastern Conference, Miami is first with fifty three wins, and then Toronto is fifth with forty eight wins. So like there's not a ton of separation between the top of the conference. And then the same thing, excluding Phoenix, obviously, and even Memphis to some extent. How did Memphis get to fifty-six wins? Like they're a good me- team. I know, but like they're they're very good. I don't I don't mean it in a derogatory way at all. It's just crazy that in a season where it was Phoenix above everyone else, and then the rest of the teams again, it's like three to six, Golden State to Denver, fifty-three to forty-eight win range. Like it seemed like almost every team was in that. And then the two teams that broke away from that were Phoenix, who were amazing. And then the other team to break out of that pack is Memphis with 56 wins. It just seems so weird. Yeah, it is sort of something that definitely no one saw coming. But Mm -hmm. uh, shout out to Ja Morant, shout out to the Memphis Grizzlies. uh, And it'll be very interesting, their series against the world champion Minnesota Timberwolves, apparently. (laughs) Certainly. Uh, Maybe we'll start with the West then, since we're already talking about them. Uh, obviously, like you said, in the play-in, the Wolves beat the Clippers. The Pelicans tonight are playing the... Uh, so, Well, I guess they would be playing the Clippers. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, we already talked about that game a little bit. The 3-6 matchup is Golden State against Denver. Like I said, not a huge win discrepancy. Both teams that have had a lot of injuries that have maybe not played up to their, you know, full... 
I don't want to say full potential because I think both of these teams pretty much achieved exactly what you would hope for from this season. Is that fair to say? Like, I mean, Denver being the sixth seed with no Porter and no Murray, and then Golden State is the three seed despite some injuries from their guys. Like, that, that's that's a good result for both those teams, fair to say. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think both of those teams are happy where they are right now. I think next year Denver will obviously be aiming a lot higher than the sixth seed. Mm-hmm. But for now, yeah, uh, you'd have to lean Warriors just in spite of how great Nikola Jokic is. But do you think this is like, I don't want to say the last chance for the Warriors, but do you think they're running out of chances? It's interesting because the one thing that makes me higher on the Warriors is that they still do have this sort of chest of chest of drawers now this war <laughs> chest like they they have guys on their team who are not significant contributors that do i think have value you know obviously this is looking ahead of uh this year but you know like they have moses moody and jonathan kuminga and james wiseman and even jordan Poole, who is is a very real contributor but is still quite young like they have it's not like the lakers where they have the old stars and then they have a bunch of non-assets basically like they do have they could put a package together is what i'm saying if they wanted to chase an additional star but that i think that is the question for the warriors is like do you trust them in the playoffs to all like be the best versions of themselves obviously the curry clay draymond core for the mainly do you trust all of them to play up to their potential at the same time i mean yeah chris it's tough to say we've We've made our thoughts known on... Well, I made my thoughts known, at least on Clay Thompson earlier in the year. I still want to see more. I'm very interested to see what he brings uh, to the table in this playoff series. I think that Timberwolves are a solid... Oh, sorry, the Nuggets are a pretty good introduction to the playoffs for him. Like, he won't have to guard an elite uh, perimeter player. Mm -hmm. So I think that'll be a nice ease back into playoff basketball for Clay. Um, Draymond's looked really good to end the season. Steph... We'll see. He's been out a while, but I think the Nuggets are a pretty good warm-up opponent. Draymond can handle Jokic. Wow. Well, just because opponent. just because of the injuries and stuff like that, and because you do have the Nuggets' best player can be guarded by one of the best defenders in the NBA in Draymond Green, like that position matches up pretty well. At least contained. Can he? <laughs> he can contain. I mean, is there any player in the league Draymond Green can't contain? I would say a seven footer would be like probably I'd say his main weakness would be a player with significant size. Yeah, but still, I mean, Draymond's yeah, I gonna mean, get his licks in. Sure, I would be. Uh, let me just quickly check here what his averages have been. You know, he's at, he's still averaging twenty eight points and nine assists against Golden State. I don't know if all of those were against Draymond. Um, you know, it's it's an interesting matchup. I think, like you said, because. They are sort of opposites in the in a way where Golden State really lacks in quality big men, and Denver really lacks in quality guards. And so that that is an interesting sort of point of comparison is whether it's the guards from Gold, from Golden State who just bomb like twenty threes and just win easily that way, or if Jokic just like completely overwhelms them. Because I think he is an incredibly tough matchup for them on defense, and he's so good at finding open shooters, especially if you send a double at him, and I think that he will be able to exploit that against Golden State. Clay Thompson is a really interesting case because he almost feels like a player... He, he's a player where whether he was good or bad last game seems to have no bearing <laughs> on whether or not he is good or bad in the subsequent game. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I, f- I feel like he is a guy where it's like, it's not that I'm not, it's not like I feel confident he'll be good in the playoffs, but I feel confident that any given game in the playoffs, he can be good. And like, it doesn't really matter what the matchup is or anything like that. Like, I don't think he's going to get like shut down by a, a defense, even if it was a team with good perimeter defense. Yeah, that's fair. All Clay needs is like half a second and half a foot, right? And he's yeah. in, on his best day. So a quick prediction, maybe this wasn't one of our in-depth series, I don't think. Uh, in-depth-ish. In-depth-ish. I'm going to go I'm gonna go a little bold, Chris. We don't hedge here on high floor listening. I'm going Warriors in five. I I think that that's, that's such an interesting prediction to me because it feels like you are counting out the Nuggets a little bit. I think I am. Even though they've had such a great year. 
it's tough for me because you look at the Nuggets roster and it's totally fair that they are not that inspiring, but I do feel like this is a best case scenario for Jokic. I feel like he is a guy that has had some big playoff performances and it feels like usually, you know, usually it was, you know, it was Jamal Murray having the 40 point games in the playoffs against Utah. It was Michael Porter Jr. playing really well last year in the playoffs, even though, you know, he wasn't amazing. He wasn't dropping 40 on a regular basis, but I think Jokic is just really good at attracting a ton of, you know, he's almost like the anti-Curry, if we want to talk Ooh. about antis in a way, and and put this down for an Instagram. Nikola Jokic is the anti-Curry because with Curry, he's out on the perimeter and he's sort of stretching defenders towards him. So, you know, you're turning a, a normal defensive shape into like a weird trapezoid because he's sort of like pulling guys in from the wings. Whereas Jokic, he's pulling he's like a black hole because he's pulling mm. people in from the middle towards the middle and you know guys people are sending like soft doubles against him and things like that and he's so good at finding those open shooters and creating open looks for them and so i almost feel like this just comes down to which role players are hitting their shots you know whether it's Otto porter jr who, who hits like <laughs> five of five from three and jordan pool or if it's monty morris and will barton and so it's it's a weird situation because they, they are almost similar and yet opposite in that way. Yeah, but uh, in that situation, that's part of why I lean Golden State. I do think that they are deeper and the bench options are more consistent, the role-playing options, than Denver's. Sure. I think that's completely fair. And, you know, we embrace debate here on High Floor Oh, sitting. we absolutely. Did you give a name in games? Oh, uh, this is tough for me. I think I just, I really trust Nikola Jokic in the playoffs, and I more than even I trust Golden State because like I don't think Steph Curry is he's not a guy who you feel totally confident will bring it in a playoff series especially you know we've seen him before coming back from injury into a playoff series and he hasn't always looked great and so I think I'm gonna lean Denver you know it's easy to say if you're not sure about a series to say it's one team or the other in seven so I'll be a little more bold and say Denver in six all right there we go I do think that they have the potential there um the next series in the West Griffin is a problem because one of these teams is in the freezer and it's the Utah Jazz going against the Dallas Mavericks. Luka Doncic out for game one. They're not sure how he'll be for the rest of the series, but you know, this is it. It's time for the Jazz to work their way to the freezer. Yeah. Yeah. A a first round series win here would do a lot for the Jazz's chance of getting out of that freezer. But I mean, I think everything that, about this series hinges on Luka Doncic and his health. I think that with the uh, with a healthy Doncic, the Mavs, I would definitely pick to win this series and it's sort of end this era of the Utah Jazz. Uh, even without Doncic, I think the I Mavs think, have a fighter's chance. I think that is the interesting question because we saw how the Jazz played against the Clippers with no Kawhi and... Were they missing Paul George for one or two of those games as well? I, think. I believe they were. At any rate, with no Kawhi at the bare minimum, are we sure Dallas doesn't have a pretty decent chance of stealing a game with no Doncic? You know, you put Spencer Dinwiddie into that starting lineup. He's and Jalen Brunson. They're handling the ball more than they usually do. I think that they both play well when you give them the ball more. And so I kind of don't feel totally confident that the Jazz, like, let's say Luka misses the first two games, I don't feel confident that they will be going to Utah up 2-0. No, I don't think so either. I think if Luka misses the first two games, that's probably a 1-1, and then Luka comes back and the Mavericks get their uh, Doncic plus defense formula back for winning Mm -hmm. games, and I think after that, uh, Dallas takes it. So we we hope for Luka's health, obviously, but I think this is the end of the Jazz, and that's when the really interesting conversations start with the Utah Jazz. Yeah, I mean, the whole, the whole reason we put the Jazz in the freezer in the first place is because they seem to always show up in the regular season and then don't show up in the playoffs. This year, they haven't even been that great in the playoffs, or in the regular season, rather, but they're still the number one offense and the number nine defense. They're the, Isn't number, that crazy? One they're the number one by offensive rating. They are the best offensive team in the National Basketball Association. That can't be right. It's they're better than like the Sixers or the 
Bucks or the, the Suns? Sixers are, the Suns are the number four. They're not even. The Suns aren't top two in either category. They're the fourth ranked offense and the third ranked defense. Fake one seed. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, like, it's weird to think because they have been getting so much hate lately. We put them in the freezer, so we haven't been talking about the whole Mitchell Gobert drama thing that's once again popped up. But they're still ostensibly the best offense in the NBA. So, right. well, Dallas has a great defense. So whenever Utah has the ball, that should be a great series. That'll it'll be interesting. I'm I'm going Dallas know, in six. I think I'm inclined to agree. But even though I just said that I don't trust the the Jazz to win a game, two games against a team without their by far their best like All NBA first team player, I don't think they're fully out of it. And I, this is this is why they're in the freezer, Griffin, because yep. they keep pulling you in and being like, "We're a good team. We're the best <laughs> offense in the NBA." And How could you not there. trust us? How could we lose? And then they lose to the freaking Clippers. So. We'll see. I'll, I'll stick with you, Dallas and Six. Uh, let's go to the East, Griffin. Just very quickly, are you worried at all for the Boston Celtics playing the Brooklyn Nets I'm in massively, the 2-7 matchup? Massively wow. massively worried for the Boston worried. Celtics. I'm worried for the Celtics to the point where like, I'm not even worried for them because I just expect <laughs> them to lose. Wow. I know that they've been the best team in basketball over the last couple months. I think the Robert Williams injury is huge. For them, he was such a big part of what they did on defense. The Time Lord, they call him. Great nickname. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a big, big problem for them. This is what we talked about, right? No one wants to be the two seed. No one wants to play the Nets, especially with Kyrie pissed at the Celtics. Like, whether that they can use that to bait him into some bad shooting games or what, like his desire to beat them, but I think the Nets take this series, I'll say in seven, because... I want to respect the Celtics wow. and what they accomplished this year. They had a great season, a great turnaround, but I this seems like Brooklyn's series to lose to me. I think if Brooklyn wow. loses this series, it's a disappointment for the Nets. Wow. See, I would not go anywhere near. I mean, like even though you can say the competition wasn't quite at that at the the level it could be, they still did have a solid end to the season even after Robert Williams went down. Like they were blowing teams out on like a consistent basis. Like even towards the end of the year you know they beat washington by 40 they beat chicago by 20 you know in the finale they beat you know granted memphis was not playing their players but you, you know toronto barely beat the celtics who were resting their starters and you know the celtics yeah. got the job done they blew them out by 30 and so i do feel like you can't count them out and also i think brooklyn is a good matchup for them to be missing their big center because they don't really have guys who can like threaten the interior in the same way. You know, even though Kyrie can sort of be slashing into the, to the rim at will, obviously Durant can get to the rim, but he is, you know, they're both outside inside players. Right. And so it, it's not quite the disaster that you might expect from a team missing like it's elite rim protector. That's fair. And I know that they've got a lot of good defenders that they can throw at, Kevin Durant, but mm-hmm. I mean, with LeBron James out, obviously there's a ton of great players in the playoffs. I think Kevin Durant's the best player in the playoffs. In, he feels like I've said this on the podcast before. I think he's the most inevitable player in the NBA. Like no matter yeah. what you do, he's going to come down and he's going to hit a massive shot in your face and kill your crowd and send you home. Like no, it feels like no matter what you try against Kevin Durant, he is going to beat you. It's like soul crushing playing against him. Yeah, I I was even saying when, you know, it seemed like it was a possible matchup in the play-in or whatever uh, for the Raptors that I, you know, because Kyrie Irving wouldn't be able to play in Canada, I'm almost more afraid of a Kevin Durant that knows he has to score Mm. 50 for his team to win than I would be for Durant and Kyrie to go. Because, you know, they didn't look amazing in the play-in. Like, they didn't blow out the Cavs. It was a pretty close game for the Cavs playing with no Jared Allen. So, like... I don't feel totally sold on them. I definitely am picking Boston over them. I I think it's fascinating that you are so high I, on them. But I just I got I got a feeling Kevin Durant, man. Wow, the Black Eyed Peas themselves. Well, speaking <laughs> of a player that might be the best player in the playoffs, the Milwaukee Bucks. Oh yeah, facing forgot about the, him. The Chicago Bulls. Is this this is the least close maybe? Uh, 
of the three six four five matchups. This might be the least close of any of the matchups. <laughs> wow. Yeah, Chicago, they sputtered down the stretch. And it's They're just like the worst possible matchup for them. It's a really bad matchup. Their interior defense seems quite porous. I think, you know, Patrick Williams, that's one of the better guys you can throw at a Giannis, but I can't imagine they don't just target Nikola Vucevic heavily. Yeah, yeah, who's a great offensive player. I like Vuce a lot on offense, but... Yeah, it's going to be ugly. Bucks and four. I'll say it. Wow. I, I, I do not think this series will go past five games. Uh, the, the one question I will ask you is, how good do we think Milwaukee is? Like, are are they a this team could be hoisting the trophy at the end of the season? Like, you know, they won 51 games. Obviously not their best season in the, in the Giannis contendership era. Do you still? Is it just a case of they were the champions? They don't have anything to prove. They're still the three seed, or do you think that there's a little more to it, and that this team is not quite as good as they have been the last couple of years? No, I think it was a bit of championship hangover. I fully expect Giannis to show up. I mean, last year we saw Giannis just say, "Oh, I used to have holes in my game. I don't anymore." <laughs> like he really evolved. I would say, looking ahead, mm-hmm. I think the Bucks are probably the most likely team to come out of the East. I think I'm inclined to agree with you. You know, obviously Miami's a really great team, really well-rounded team. Boston is a great team, a really well-rounded team, but it is really hard to pick against Giannis in a playoff series. I mean, and again, like, that's a guy where, do I feel 100% confident he's going to be amazing again in the playoffs? Not entirely. I think that Boston is a really tough matchup for them, actually. Yeah. I'm really interested if that does end up being the matchup to see how Boston would defend him. Uh, but yeah, we'll have to see there. I feel like he, I'll, I'll say Milwaukee in five. Maybe Chicago wins one at home. Are you uh, spotting the, the gentleman's sweep? Do you think Chicago wins game four? Um, I, I'm, not, I'm not confident in that. I think game three or four is totally fair that they, they squeak one out, but I, I do not see them being a, a threat in this series. And we could be wrong, of course, but we don't hedge here. No, and then the final three to six matchup, Griffin, the four five in the East, the Sixers and the Raptors. A lot of ink has been spilled in the nation of Canada over this series already. Over at Raptors Republic, where I work, there's been tons of stuff. Louis Zatzman did a, uh, you know, you know how at the top of an article it'll have, have how long of a read it is. Yep. He had a 61 minute to read. Oh my god! <laughs> in previewing the the Raptors and the Sixers, Samson Folk did a, a great 25 minute video that dropped today. I was producing a live stream earlier today with the with the wrap up crew, the great uh, live post game show. They were doing a preview. We went about an hour on that one. So a ton, a ton, a ton has been said on this, and so I'm a little bit tired of it. But my question to you, Griffin. Are the Raptors that good? Do you have that? Because it seems like now, not even in Canada, but everywhere, people are picking the Raptors to win this series. I think they feel like the favorites at this point in terms of how people are talking about it. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I was going to say, do you remember last week when we talked about how too many people were picking the Blue Jays to win the American League East and Mm. it made us nervous? Same thing. Um, Totally. Like, yeah, the Raptors, it does feel like they are... Definitely the uh, the hip upset pick at the moment. I know people are desperate for for many reasons. People don't want to see James Harden succeed, uh, or think that he won't. Just whether they think that he's washed up. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we were talking about which one of these teams you didn't want to play if you were the Raptors. I said the Sixers because I thought Joel Embiid would just eat them alive. The Raptors mm-hmm. don't have a true seven footer to throw at him but I mean I think there is something to be said for like Nick Nurse is just gonna throw six foot nine strong guy after six foot nine strong guy I think Precious Achua will get a lot of those Embiid minutes I I would hope that uh OG and Anobi will get a few I think he's strong enough to handle it I think Scotty Barnes will get maybe a few Thad Young I would like to see Mm -hmm. get some off the bench and the Raptors aren't gonna stop Joel Embiid especially like no one does even if you do have a proper big man like short of Mark Gasol um so he's going to get his points, but it's going to be about whether the Raptors can take away Harden and Danny Green and Tobias Harris. Uh, yeah, I think the whole series hinges on James Harden. 
And yeah. I think I think you're absolutely right. I think that is the the real X factor. And then you know, it's James Harden in the playoffs, so it's hard to to put a lot of stock in that. The one one guy you didn't mention, Griffin, which I wanted to ask you about: How much of a believer are you in Tyrese Maxey? As you know, the the secondary ball handler, the shot creator, the spot up shooter. Like he's sort of, I'd say he's their number three guy now at this point. Yeah. With, with Tobias Harris moving down Struggling the pecking order more and more with every year. Is it Maxi who can't play in Canada, or is it Tybul? It's Tybul, Matisse, right. Th- or maybe it's Thibel. Right. But uh, he and he's probably their best defender. Uh, yeah. That that is you know you talk about the Raptors not having a guy to guard Joel Embiid. The Sixers really do not have a guy to guard Pascal Siakam. And I think true. that that is sort of the what it comes down to is like the relative unguardability of those two guys. And you I know, guess Harris will get, probably get most of the Siakam maintenance. Do you, want, do you think if you're Doc Rivers, would you put Danny Green on Pascal Siakam? That would be a matchup I would be intrigued by if I was Doc. He's like the length, the quickness. Danny Green's still a good defender. The shot isn't there as it once was, but... Uh, that would be something I would be looking at if I was Doc Rivers. Yeah, I just feel like in my mind's eye, when I when I like imagine a Pascal Siakam possession, and then I put Danny Green in front of him, it just doesn't feel like there's <laughs> any way. Like I feel like it has to be a guy who's like six eight, six nine, plus has the foot speed to guard his drives. Yeah, but you know, it's a, it's an interesting situation they find themselves in. And again, like Pascal Siakam, that's a guy you don't feel. 200% confident in performing in the playoffs, although he has been terrific. So, like I said, a lot a lot has been spilled on this. I imagine we are both going to pick the Raptors here. I think, Do you think so. think this is a seven-game series? Uh, it's always, like, it always feels weird to pick a seven-game series, but yeah, I think probably. I think that there is a very real path for the Raptors to the Eastern Conference Finals, which is crazy when we look back on what we were saying about this team at the start of the year. Like, maybe a play-in if, all, if things all go right. But I'm not scared of the Miami Heat. I don't know about you. We, I have talked about this with people as well, that avoiding the Boston-Milwaukee and getting Philly and Miami, like, that is the absolute best case scenario for the Raptors. But at the same time, it's like, it feels weird to be looking ahead when I don't feel confident that they'll win this series. But I think, and, you know, one thing that my friend Isaac O'Neill over at the Bench Connection said is, even though... You know, you can say the Raptors are favorites at this point, but it would be disastrous for Philly to lose in the first round. Oh, like, th- yeah. It would be a franchise-altering disaster. So, Doc Rivers is coaching for his job right now. Absolutely, Maybe yes. even in the second round he's coaching for his job, but especially in this first round. Yeah. Uh, so that will be an exciting one. You know, there are other playoff matchups as well. We'll be talking a lot of NBA playoffs as the, these weeks go on. But that is uh, all she wrote for now. We are going to take a quick break and come back with a fun little draft on High Floor. Low ceiling. And welcome back to High Floor Low Ceiling. Nice. That's like not really a voice. but No, it was, a, it was an intonation. Yeah, maybe I'll just go more for intonations. Um, we are back, Griffin. We that are we still... Are. We've still got basketball on the brain. I have devised a little game for us to play. This is, you know, we've given a lot of love to some playoff teams, talked about all the stars and the superstars and things of that nature. We're going to give a little bit of love to those teams that are sitting at home waiting for those ping pong balls, Griffin. (laughs) The non-playoff teams, we're going to give them some love with what I call the missed the cut draft. So I'll, I'll run down the rules for our listeners. This is going to be a, a back-and-forth draft. You won the coin flip and have taken the first overall pick here. So the rules are players from the 11th to 15th seeds, plus the Spurs and the Hornets, the two teams that lost the 9-10 play-in game. Players have to occupy the same role and usage as they do on their own team. So you can't, you know, you can't... A Shea Gilgis-Alexander, he's the number one option on his team. So if you pick Shea... That's who you're putting in as your number one option. You can't just, you know, say like, oh, I'll have DeMontis Sabonis as my sixth man or whatever. Like, they have to sort of be in the same role. So, you know, you're not just making a star-studded cast. Um, and then no players who have had season-ending injuries. No Zion Williamson. No Damian Lillard. I think those are probably the two big ones that could be potential picks here. Um, 
this was this was an interesting task to come up with this this these we have not told each other our our picks yet griffin so this will be a live uh unveiling how did you feel making your list Are, do you feel good about your your potential team i do especially once that uh first overall pick came my way chris because if we could get us started here uh i'm actually Please. going to go with my first overall pick i'm going to take a second option this so. is interesting because i i said i told you at the start griffin i think i know what the first two picks are gonna be and i was also debating whether i would go with a second option as the first pick but please go ahead with your selection. Well, yes, because I think that there are a bunch of really good first options, but I think the gap between this second option and the other second options available are so wide that yeah. with the first overall pick, I'm taking as my second option, Anthony Davis. Yep, I think that that is just a slam dunk of a pick. Uh, Anthony certainly thrown down his fair share of slam dunks. Obviously, the Lakers have had a very disappointing season, it's still very egregious that they weren't even in the play-in. Um, but yeah, I think that's a great selection. Obviously, Anthony Davis, an all-NBA caliber player. You're not getting that out of any of the other second options we have here. And now, Griffin, you've also put me in a difficult position because I am now forced to pick my first option to deny it from you. Uh, and at, like I said, I think we all know who's going top two. There's no better number one option in the playoffs, maybe uh, of any player, than LeBron James. I gotta go with him. He is a, a genuine number one on a championship-winning team, which I don't think you can say about the other guys that, at least that I have on my list. Maybe you're pulling out a surprise pick here, but you know, it, it's it's LeBron James. We we've seen what LeBron James with a decent supporting cast looks like, and. More often than not, it ends up with him in the finals. So I feel good about this selection regardless. Yep, and there is a fissure for sure between LeBron and the rest of those first options. But one of the other things we we're talking about, Chris, in our little pre-draft planning was that now that you have taken your first option, the other first options are unavailable to you. So I can, I'm, I'm going to sort of leave that alone for the moment and exactly. try and take a good starter. For my starters, I, I've got Anthony Davis, so I want a solid guard. Um, I'm going to take Tyrese Halliburton. From the Indiana Pacers. Yeah, I think that's a great pick. You know, we, we sort of had a debate over Malcolm Brogdon and Buddy Heald and who exactly was the, the first and second option there, but we landed on Halliburton being in that the pool of other starters, non-first and second options. I think it's a great pick. And, you know, like like I said, there's not a lot of great lead guards on these teams because that's usually what a team that misses the playoffs is missing. So that's definitely a guy you want to get in there. No, yeah, well, yeah, I'm just, I'm really excited to have Tyrese on the squad, you know. Um, in the locker room? Yeah, I think he's a great guy. I think he got out of Sacramento. I mean, he's he's d disappointed that he won't be able to rebuild Sacramento, but he'll be happy in Griffinville, I think. Sure. Um, see, this now presents me with an interesting choice, because my plan for this team, I, there, I think there are a lot of great wings in this group of players and i would love the chance to just load up on those guys it does present me with a bit more of an issue because i like having another ball handler next to lebron james but i think i just have to go with who i think are the best players available and go from there so from the starters pool because like you said i'm going to leave my second option for now from the starters pool i'm going to select miles bridges of the charlotte hornets i think he is pretty unequivocally the best player available he was a near 20 point scorer for them uh you know great improvements a very versatile defender almost a uh, like a baby lebron james almost <laughs> you could say maybe not the passing but you put those two together i think that's a, a solid wing combo that can match up with just about anyone and like i said i think that's he is the most talented player who is uh in that category so i feel quite good about having miles bridges on the squad yeah that's a great pick i wasn't sure if he counted as the second option or what but uh i went i went by shot attempts and lamello ball and terry rogier were the first two okay so. all right well with that chris uh i'm going to take a starter i've got a great big man who can handle the ball who can create his own shot who can play great defense might be a surprising pick Chris, but Ooh. I feel like I'm going to get him a bit of a buy low, but I think if I left him there too long, you would take him. So 
for my, I'm also going to select from the starter pool a former MVP. I'm taking Russell Westbrook. Wow. This was a player, Griffin, who was not on my board. Really? Oh, I could have left him. It's a risky pick, but I, I, I see your, you know, I see the thinking, obviously. If you get the best out of Russell Westbrook, and, you know, in this situation, he will be sort of running the show, and then, you know, you put him with Anthony Davis, you know, I think that that's what the Lakers were hoping <laughs> would happen for them, which obviously it didn't, but... Yeah, no, I've clearly like, identified LeBron as the problem. Um. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you, you're basically building the 2021 Lakers without LeBron James, which, as everyone knows, is, is the key to success. Um <laughs> But but I see the logic, Griffin. Even though you do already have a guard in Halliburton, it's you're going based on talent, and I can't blame you for that. I'm set at guard now. Yeah, exactly. Uh, whereas I am going to be in a tough spot, I will say. But Griffin, I think I just have to keep with the plan here. This might be a pick that I, I don't know where this player would land on your board because he is young. But I think it's another it's another player much like Miles Bridges. He can do a little bit of everything on the court. He is a great shooter. He has size. He has versatility. Do you know who I'm going for here, Griffin? I'm curious. Do you no, know I don't think I, I do. This is from one of the worst teams in the NBA, the 14th-seeded Detroit Pistons. I'm going with Sadiq I, Bey. That was I thought for a second, but I wasn't confident enough in it. Wow, Sadiq Bey off the board. Yeah, only in his second season, but, you know, he he averaged 16 points, 5 rebounds, 3 assists with the Pistons. His shooting did take a downturn this year. He was, you know, a 529 true shooting, not necessarily what you want. But, you know, he's it's there's a difference between playing with the Pistons and playing with LeBron James. So I feel confident that he's going to turn into a knockdown shooter in the playoffs, you know, around 38, 39%. I trust him there. And, you know, we saw him go for some some pretty big games in his uh, in his sophomore season here. I feel good about his trajectory. I'd love to see him in a playoff game. And so I feel good about my, you know, sort of a Toronto Raptors-esque roster-building strategy here with LeBron James, Miles Bridges, and Sadiq Bey. Very true, very true. Um, yeah, he would fit well in the Raptors. Sorry, you distracted me with that. <laughs> um, so, Chris, that leaves... Me with another... I'm going to go to the starters pool again. I believe this will be, including Anthony Davis, my fourth starter. So I'll only have one left after this. And I want... I feel more comfortable with Anthony Davis at power forward than I do at center. Mm -hmm. As Uh, does he, I imagine. Yes, I believe he does. And I'm not sure what the shot attempts say about this guy, but I certainly feel he is not a first or second option on offense. So I'm going to take from the Portland Trailblazers, Yusuf Nurkic. This was definitely a guy I had on my list, Griffin. Well, I'm glad tell to have me taken about, uh, tell, me the, tell me about the logic here. Well, I think he's, I mean, with Davis and Nurkic, I think that it's going to be very, very tough to score on me in the paint. Uh, they're both really strong defensive players. Nurkic can bang the boards, and he can do the dirty work that AD doesn't have to do. With Westbrook on mm-hmm. my team, I think I want AD probably spacing the four a little bit more, playing almost more like a, a seven-foot-tall wing than as a big. So with mm-hmm. Nurkic in there, he can get the rebounds, he can uh, crash the glass, defend the rim, and AD can play more of like a free safety style on defense and uh, be may- way more involved in the offense without having to take the main rebounding load as well. Yeah, a Yusuf Nurkic almost a, a Steven Adams type, you know, I'm thinking of Russell Westbrook back in OKC. That was, a, uh, I think, a really good fit. Obviously, you're going to be grabbing a lot of defensive rebounds, I imagine, Griffin. I with, think uh, I will be. Davis, Nurkic, and Westbrook, so you're set in that department. So yeah, I think this is a, a solid pick. Like you said, the the guy who does the things that Anthony Davis doesn't like to do yeah. is, is a perfect way to describe Yusuf Nurkic. <laughs> Uh, you've put me in a very tough spot now, Griffin. I don't think you have a lot of bigs, do you, Chris? You've got I do not have a I do not have a big, but I now feel comfortable leaving my center spot open until later. Mm. And so the question is, do I go for a guard? Because you're set on guards as well. Uh, so I feel good about leaving those two positions open. And I think I go to the bench here. 
And this is a tough call because obviously there are a lot of different types of bench players you can go for. You can, you know, there's a Thaddeus Young who is not in the pool, but, you know, he is a, a bench player who gives you a lot, but is very different from a, a scoring guard. You know, that's the classic six-man kind of mold that you think of. There weren't a lot of great options, I will say. Um, and I think just because of the way my roster is made up so far that I do have to go for a guard here. I want a scoring guard. I want someone with some speed. And so I feel pretty good about my selection here. I'm going to pick from the New York Knicks, Emmanuel quickly. Oh, I thought you were going to say Derek Rose. Um, I thought about Rose as well. He is a guy who arguably was kind of shut down for the season. He did not play a lot of games this year. But in, in his absence, Emmanuel quickly really broke out that as, he did. You know, as the uh, the bench guard on that roster. You look at his stats since the All-Star break. 23 games, 16 points, 5 rebounds, 5 assists on nearly 600 true shooting. So putting up really solid numbers as the New York Knicks fell into obscurity. But, you know, he, after struggling to get playing time under Tom Thibodeau, uh, <laughs> he he did have a bit of a breakout. And so I feel good about having him as the sixth man. He brings some speed. He brings some shooting, although he hasn't been an amazing shooter this year. He is a, a, certainly a passable shooter. Uh, and I think he will... You know, when LeBron James sits, you need that guy who's going to be a lead guard and be a ball handler, and I think that he's going to fill that role very nicely for us. So, yeah, Emmanuel th- quickly, my sixth man. I think so. I think he's uh, he's young and he's exciting, but you can also trust him off the bench, so that's a great pick. Uh, I guess I'll pick my first option now, Chris, my fifth starter. Uh, like you said, I've got two guards, I've got two bigs, so I want someone who can play the wing. A uh, Someone without with Nurkic and Westbrook both on the floor. I'm not going to have a lot of floor spacing, so I want a good three-point threat. I think I'm almost going to play this guy and Anthony Davis as like a 1A, 1B, but uh, for my first option, I'm going to take from the Washington Wizards, Bradley Beal. Yeah, I think this is the, the clear choice, especially since you do have a lead guard already in Russell Westbrook. Exactly. I think the other choice is DeJounte Murray for, for the first option. Uh, but, you know, Bradley Beal, obviously, terrific shooter, terrific scorer. He certainly brings that dimension to the table. And so uh, I, I think you should feel good about this, Griffin. I like the way that your team is shaping up. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> and again, Griffin, you have put me in a really difficult <laughs> spot because I am picking... You're... Well, I need to pick my second option. Yeah. I, I can go in either either order here, so I'll start with my second option. There are two guys who I identified as the clear, you know, in the top three along with Anthony Davis as a second option, and I don't think either of them are a terrific fit on my roster. But, you know, I've committed to this, you know, 6-8 kind of-ish wing type deal the nick nurse school of roster building the nick nurse school of roster building and i feel like i just have to ride this out and so i think i have to go with for my second option you know the the other i will say my other thought is demontis sabonis yeah a great who is a a very skilled offensive player brings a lot to the table brings some passing but i just i need i want i want some defense i don't like sabonis's lack of defensive ability I think that really hurts you in the playoffs. If you're a big man, can't play defense, they can get played off the floor pretty easily. So I'm going to have to choose a reunion with his front court partner, Sadiq Bey, from the Detroit Pistons, Jeremy Grant. Oh, so, a great, great pick. So basically, <laughs> the roster I've composed is just a bunch of guys who are about 6'8", who can score 20 on any night, who can knock down you know, three threes in a row, uh, at any given point, and we're just going to defend the heck out of you. We're, we're going to struggle. You know, we'll, we'll struggle with Russell Westbrook, I think. We'll have to see how that turns out. <laughs> but uh, but just a, a, a gaggle of guys who are very tough to deal with. Yeah, that's I like the Grant pick a lot for the way your roster is shaping up, Chris. You've got a very athletic roster. I think you're mm-hmm. going to be very strong defensively. You're going to have a lot of options to throw at AD. Um yeah, that's a great pick for you guys. Uh, so this leaves me with my last pick for sixth man. And I love a guy who can come off the bench and like just provide some scoring immediately. I think that's the most important quality in a bench piece. Maybe my starters have been struggling. Maybe Russ isn't giving it to me. I want a guy who can come in, 
get hot, hit a bunch of quick threes, got the and good wrist action. Just talk into that microphone, why don't you? Oh, was I not talking into the microphone? <laughs> you were sort of looking off to the side and, and deep in thought. Yeah, sorry about that. Um, <laughs> but yes, I want a guy who can come off the bench uh, with and just accurate from distance, able to mm-hmm. hit a bullseye, metaphorically speaking, from on a basketball court, of course. I want a guy who's got good wrist action on his shot. Uh, come in, and this guy I'm talking about, this guy can sometimes... I mean, I guess it's a bit of a insult to call him a six-man because he's won an unprecedented 79 PDC majors. <laughs> Chris, he's a 18-time champion of the world. You know we couldn't have a draft without me oh. taking the one, the only, the legendary Phil Taylor as my six-man. Phil Taylor's coming off the bench. He is a well-below-six-foot stocky British man. Uh, he's going to come in. He's going to hit some threes. He's going to knock them down. And if you don't allow that as a six-man, I'll take Carmelo Anthony. Um. Oh, Griffin. (laughs) I spent so much time (laughs) researching bench players on non-playoff teams, and you come in and blow up the whole strategy. Uh, I I mean, I can't knock the pick, though. It's Phil Taylor. It's it's foolproof. It's like, this is a classic uh, Reddit question, I feel like, where it's like, if you had a guy who was like five foot five and like not athletic, but But could hit a shot from anywhere. But if he gets his shot off, he's 100% from anywhere on the court. Can can you play this player in a basketball game? And we're going to, we're going to put it to the test. I think Phil Taylor is going to be hitting a very high percentage of threes at a good volume. So... And I do think my team is very well equipped to handle <laughs> Phil Taylor. You're you're rangy. Uh, you're you're quick. You can get out to the three point line fast. Yeah, we can we can x out to the corners quite effectively. But but I do love the pick, Griffin. My last pick is not as interesting as that. <laughs> I think I have to go with a big man here to try and combat some of that size you have. The other guy on my board, other than Yusuf Nurkic, at that big man position, who has some length who has some rebounding, who you know has some decent foot speed as well. From the Orlando Magic, I'm going with Wendell Carter Jr., mm. not Mo Bamba, the guy no. who cooked the Magic in the game that we attended, or <laughs> yeah. hit the Raptors. Oh, he was going crazy. The day before I picked him up for my fantasy team, too. Mm-hmm. So, but I'm not going with Mo Bamba. He did fade a little down the stretch. I'm going with Wendell Carter Jr. I think he really compliments... My guys will be switching a lot. Will be, yeah. will be. You know, any guy can sort of knock down either the mid range or a three pointer or anything like that. And I, I'm quite happy with the way my roster has turned out. Uh, so why don't we we will run down our full rosters if you have yours uh, handy, Griffin. I yeah. think for the purposes, I'll, I'll start with mine. Uh, for the purposes of this exercise, I think we're playing LeBron James at the point guard. Ooh. Miles Bridges at the shooting guard, Sadiq Bey at the small forward, Jeremy Grant at power forward, Wendell Carter Jr. at center, and Emmanuel Quickly as the sixth man. Is that a is that team gonna win a playoff series? <laughs> is my question for you. I think so. I think you've constructed a great team, Chris. I still haven't really decided who my point guard is. I guess I'll give it to Russell Westbrook. Uh, we'll make Russ the point guard. We'll make Beal the shooting guard. And we'll make Tyrese Halliburton <laughs> the small forward. I'm going with a three-guard lineup, basically. Sure, but but it's positionless I, I, basketball. Welcome to 2022. I, I think Bradley Beal would be the nominal small forward in that lineup, I, I must guess say, so. over Tyrese Halliburton. I guess. All right, fine. We'll switch him. And then Anthony Davis at power forward, Yusuf Nurkic at center, and 18... What What's the total now? Is it 18-time champion of the world? I believe Taylor? it's he's an 18-time major PDC major winner. No, he's a 79-time PDC major winner. Oh, he's an 18-time world champion. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> so uh, uh, we've got a lot of championship experience in that locker room between Anthony Davis and Phil Taylor. Uh, <laughs> guys who show up in the big moments. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so that I think that's going to be a great game. Yeah, I, 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 th- I would be interested in seeing how those two teams match up because I, I like your talent a lot. I think that, you know, if the if the jump shots aren't falling, then that Halliburton, Russ West, Russell Westbrook uh, backcourt 
starts to look a little less appealing. Yeah, I need Beal to hit the shots. The fit is where I'm concerned with my team. Not The talent is there, but the fit concerns yeah, me. Whereas absolutely. your team, I think, fits together really nicely. I think it turned out all right. Like I said, the quick guards might give us a problem, but we'll we'll see how it turns out in the playoffs. Griffin, that is going to do it for us today. Uh, I had a wonderful time talking some basketball with you. We'll so try and <laughs> we'll try and talk something different next week. Um, of course, you can find us on social media at HFLC Podcast. If you didn't check out last week's episode, which that was a foolish mistake by you. Oh, it a, absolutely. It was a great episode, if I'm being perfectly honest. Uh, but Griffin, you just dropped that great video of us talking about the Atlanta Braves uh, super expensive burger. We're, so we're not check pleased. Us out. <laughs> check us out on Instagram or TikTok to hear us talk about that. Uh, and of course, on Twitter at HFLC Podcast, where we're posting and such. Uh, you can follow Griffin at GriffinPorter97 on Twitter. You can follow myself at C House and Jan. Uh, Chow Sun Jan is the way that some people choose to uh, remember it. You can, I guess, still listen to the OUA and Conversation podcast, right, Griffin? The, the episodes are out there if you want to get caught up. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I think we've basically yeah. come, we might have one more coming out, but we've basically come to the end for the school year. Uh, well, much love to uh, to that little uh not little little side <laughs> project compared yeah. to the behemoth so of high podcast you have. yeah um you can listen to my other podcasts got the runs follow us at got the runs pods about comic books and bevy of bevies griffin the I've, I've been hyping it up episode two dropped this week talking the iced americano from starbucks uh so that's a fun one be sure to check that out but until next time griffin I think we must implore our audience mm. to keep their floors high and to keep their ceilings low. Have a good one. <laughs>